Amen. Thank you, choir. Let's grab a Bible, turn to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 13. We're going to take a look at verses 22 through 30 uh, this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a pew Bible there in front of you. You can grab it and turn to page 873. It should get you where you need to be this morning. I'm going to read the passage, pray, and then we'll, we'll dig in together. Um, Luke chapter 13, take a look at verses 22 through 30 together this morning. Hear God's word, talking about Jesus. Which, by the way, let me say this before I read the passage, because I'm, I'm, this is a tough passage. Uh, some really hard things Jesus is going to say in this passage. So there will be a lot of hard things I have to say to you today. And I want you to know this, that if you ever feel like I'm pointing a finger at you, rest assured there are three other fingers pointing back at me, okay? So... If, um, just want to set the tone and, and uh, the tenor for today. 13, verse 22, talking about Jesus. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you came from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But, he will say, I tell you, I I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west, and from north and south, and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's, it's It's honest when I say I, I, I tried my best to do the work that needed to be done on this passage this mor- morning, this past week. And so, Lord, prayerfully before you, I've wrestled with this passage, and this passage has wrestled with me. Lord, you know I've prepared some thoughts that their goal is to be faithful to this passage to exalt Christ and to appropriately apply this passage to the fine folks that you've gathered in this beautiful sanctuary this morning. So what I pray is that your words would be spoken and you would help us to hear your words and not mine. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Once upon a time, Big Bad Bill from Bartow died of a heart attack one night. Now, he was known as Big Bad Bill, not affectionately, but it was an accurate description about Big Bad Bill in his life. Everyone in town knew Big Bad Bill. Big Bad Bill was known as a liar, an adulterer, a womanizer, the town drunk, and a cheat. He didn't pay his taxes. He didn't pay his bills. He paid them very seldomly. And he was known as just a horrible, terrible man. And when Big Bad Bill died, his family was terrified about two things. Number one, who would preach his funeral? Would anyone that was a minister preach his funeral? And secondly, if they got a minister to agree to preach his funeral, what would the minister say about Big Bad Bill? Well, Big Bad Bill had had a younger brother named Little Johnny. And so the whole family gathered together and they decided they were going to have little Johnny go approach a preacher to see if he would preach Big Bad Bill's funeral. And they did. And they went on down to the, to the church there in Bartow and asked the minister if he would be willing to preach the funeral of Big Bad Bill. And he said, I will. Little Johnny said, now preacher, we know you shoot straight with the folks, but we're asking you as the family to do us one favor. Will you do it? Preacher said, I'll try if I can. What's the favor? Little Johnny said, Preacher, will you find one good thing to say about Big Bad Bill? And the preacher looked at the family, and little Johnny said, I'll do my best. Well, sure enough, the day of the funeral came, and the preacher stood up to, to eulogize Big Bad Bill, and it was off to a rough start. Because the preacher stood up and said, Well, all of you in here know Big Bad Bill, and you know why Bill was called Big and Bad. He was a womanizer. He was an adulterer. He was a liar. He was a cheat. He was the town drunk. You could see the family just begin to fume and the steam to roll out of their ears. At that point, the preacher said, but if you think Big Bag Bill was horrible and terrible, you ought to get to know his little brother, little Johnny. (laughs) I preached a lot of funerals in my day. But a lot of people afraid about what I might say about them. What about you? Are you afraid about what people in town might say about you at your funeral? Is that what scares you? There are a lot of things that scare people. Jennifer and I got scared last night as we were looking at social media and enjoying all those beautiful pictures about homecoming. Okay, you ladies look beautiful, by the way. You boys, even some of you looked handsome. We were shocked. But we were scared because we remember that day for us just like it was yesterday. And in the blink of an eye, 22, 27 years later, here we are. Let me scare some of you dads and moms. (laughs) Last night, you might have met your future son-in-law. There's something in town that's trying to scare you. Do yourself a favor this week, and today even if you can, and drive up Jackson Street. There's a, there's a, a house there that is decorated in what I believe is every Halloween decoration that's been put in Home Depot, Lowe's, Walmart, Target, or sold on Amazon Prime over the last decade. But beside of that house is a church that has a marquee. And on the side of the marquee that faces that house, it has this sign. 
the only ghost in here is holy. Do yourself a favor and drive by that church or that house. Obviously, there's a little bit of fear there about what's going on and what's being communicated. What's my point? There are a lot of things that can scare you. What your kids are going to do, who your kids are going to marry, what your kids are going to say, (laughs) particularly during a children's sermon, (laughs) what others are going to say about you. But do you know what should bring the most sobering thought to our minds? When you die, what is Jesus going to say to you? Is he going to say, welcome home? Well done, good and faithful servant? Or is he going to say, depart from me, I never knew you? Do you know what my greatest fear is? It's this. It's to be a pastor of Bartow ARP Church for 30, well, no, that came out wrong. Uh, That's not my fear to be a pastor of the church for 30 years. (laughs) It came out wrong. That's why you should write it down, I guess. My greatest fear is to get the end of, of pastoral ministry, to die, stand before Jesus. And he say, you know what, you baptized Josie. You baptized a number of men and women. You preached these funerals. You conducted these weddings. You preached these sermons. You told people about me, but depart from me. I never knew you. What brings me the most fear is what Jesus will say to me when I meet him face to face. Why do I bring that up today? Because what Jesus has to say to us in this passage is scary. As we read verses 22 through 30, I could, I could hear a pin drop in a Presbyterian church, and that's when you know it just got serious. Pentecostals get loud, Presbyterians get quiet. What does Jesus have to say to us today in this passage that's scary? He says, there are a lot of people that believe a lot of lies about me. The context of this passage is really verse 23. There's a man that we don't know who he is, but he comes up to Jesus and he asks Jesus a very simple question. Lord, will those who are saved be few? In other words, what what he's saying to Jesus is, hey Jesus, how many people are getting to heaven? Another way to phrase it is, I'm getting the feeling, Jesus, the more I listen to you and the more I watch your ministry, I'm getting the sense that not a whole lot of people are going to make it. And like a good preacher, Jesus could have responded very simply and directly and said, you're right, most people are going to hell. That's essentially what he says in this passage, which is very scary, that most people are going to hell. Apparently, Jesus had never attended a funeral south of the Mason-Dixon line. Because the the longer I've lived, and the more funerals I go to people that live south of the Mason-Dixon line on this continent, you get the sense and the feeling that they're all going to heaven because they all live south of the Mason-Dixon line. 
But what does Jesus say? It's scary. In verses 23 through 30, he basically says, look, here's the deal. Most people are going to hell. Why? Because they've bought into some lies about Jesus. Now, I'm going to warn you, I'm probably going to go over past time, but we got a picnic today, so we're going to feed you. And I want to just keep going, okay? But I want us to take a look at this passage at five scary lies I believe people believe about Jesus. And if we don't correct these lies about Jesus, there's no doubt about what Jesus is going to say to us on Judgment Day when we meet him. What's the first scary lie people believe about Jesus? It's in verse 24. The first scary lie that people believe about Jesus is that there are several ways to heaven. Look at what Jesus says in response to the guy who asked the question, verse 23. Will those who are saved be few? He says to them in verse 24, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Now, is Jesus saying that we earn our salvation by the good things that we do? No, but Jesus is being honest to say, look, there's only one way to heaven, and that's me. And the lie that many people buy and the lie that's being sold in our culture and the lie that's oftentimes even being enunciated from pulpits like this in beautiful church buildings is that Jesus is one of many ways. But what Jesus is clear in this passage is to say there's only one way to heaven. Jesus is the door. And it's easy to get sidetracked from that truth. There's just a cultural weight and a cultural wind that blows that the longer we live people will be tempted to smear the truth to drift from the truth and Jesus says here's the deal it's a narrow door Jesus says another way in Matthew 7 enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter it by it are many, but the gate that is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. R. Kent Hughes tells the story of speaking at a conference. And he went out to grab some coffee. And he noticed that there was this young girl that was obviously of Middle Eastern descent who was drinking coffee and reading her Bible in public. And R. Kent Hughes walked up to her and he asked, are you a Christian? And she said, yes. And he asked her why and she said, because I have found the narrow way. A lot of preachers asked a lot of people that question. Never had that answer. Very few have had that answer. And R. Kent Hughes, he asked her, he said, why do you refer to following Jesus as the narrow way? And she said, look, when I accepted Christ as my Savior, my family disowned me. They abandoned me. It was just me and Jesus and my Bible and the church family that adopted me. That's scary. 
But what's more scary is that we could buy into the lie that there's more than one way to be right with God. One of the scary lies that the culture teaches us is that there's more than one way to be right with God. And if that's true, think about it this way. If it was true that you could get right with God other than Jesus, then would you even want to serve the God of the Bible? Because if you can get to heaven just by setting your alarm a couple times a day, praying a specific prayer, just re- uttering a, a specific prayer, or, or if you could get it by making a, a Mecca trip to somewhere in the world and just paying 1000 to $2,000 and maybe getting somebody to even pick up the tab for you, then what God the Father did to God the Son had to have been way overkill and malicious. And why would you even want to serve a God like that anyway? So one of the scary lies that the culture teaches and that many to is that there's more than one way to heaven. I don't know how many of you remember Larry King, but Larry King had Joel Osteen on his show one time. And Joel Osteen was asked the question very directly, is Jesus the only way to heaven? Do you know what Joel Osteen said? Ah, Larry, I don't know that I would say it that way. Really? That's how Jesus said it. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The most scary thing in the world is not what other people say about you if you follow Jesus. The most scary, potential scary thing in the world is what Jesus will say to you when you meet him. Have you bought into the lie that there's more than one way? There's not. Jesus is the only way. What's the second lie, scary lie that people buy into? It's that they've got plenty of time, plenty of time to get right with God. That's the lie that we see in verse 25. It says, when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. What's a scary lie that a lot of people buy into? It's that I've got plenty of time to get right with God. Who are some others that, that, that we've baptized recently? W- wasn't it Nate? Nate Strickland? Wasn't it, it was Charity? Josie? We, we could look at them and we could say, don't waste your youth following Jesus. you got plenty of time to get right with God. But for those of us that have a few more miles on our tires, what do we know? You're not guaranteed the rest of today, let alone tomorrow. For those of you, that, that, how many of you are, are high school seniors this year? How many of you are high school seniors? Okay. Let me tell you what's going to scare you to death. 2023 is your graduation day. Am I thinking correct? Okay. I'm doing the math right. Okay. I'm from West Virginia, so you got to work on it. What will scare you to death is fast forward 10 years from today. I want you to remember this sermon 10 years from today. And when you go to your 10-year high school reunion, you will be shocked how many people don't make it. And by that, I don't mean that, oh, I was busy with my job, couldn't make it. No, you know you will be shocked at how many people literally are not alive by the time your 10-year high school reunion rolls around. But what Jesus is getting at in this passage is not just that time factor, but more importantly, that now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. And what verses 25 through 27 is referring to is that after Jesus returns, the time is up. 
And the picture here is a terrifying picture. It's a scary picture of people who stand outside of the party. And they knock. And what Jesus says to them is, I I didn't know you back then. And so I don't know you now. Friends, what's most scary is not what other people say about you, but what Jesus will say to you when you meet him face to face. Are you ready to meet him? Now's the day of salvation. Now's a favorable time. And what I would say to Josie, and what I would say to Nate, and what I would say to Charity, and what I would say to others that have accepted Christ and decided to follow him, you're not missing out. I ain't going to lie, I like listening to ACDC when I go to the gym. I ain't going to lie. It's better than Bill Gaither, I'm sorry. It's just better to try to bench press 335 when you're listening to Thunderstruck rather than he touched me, okay? Judge me if you want. Or Beulah Land, okay? But here's what I know. Hell is a bad place to be. Do you know why? Because you're not going to experience God's joy, but you're going to experience God's wrath there. And that's the picture here that's scary. It's more terrifying than anything you'll see decorated on Jackson Street this week. That's the second lie some people believe is that we got plenty of time to get right with God. The third lie that many people believe is this, that being familiar with Jesus is good enough. That being familiar with Jesus is good enough. We see this in verses 26 and 27 because when the master of the house who is Jesus tells the person knocking on the door, sorry bud, I don't know you. This argument ensues in verses 26 through 27. Like, hey, remember me? We were buds. Look at what it says here in verse 26. Then you will begin to say, hey, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. In other words, remember, we ate together. We were even, we were even sitting beside each other at Jimmy John's drive through You don't remember that, Jesus? I, I remember listening to you teach. Remember that time you were down at Bartow ARP Church? Verse 27, but he will say to you, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me. An imperative, a command. All you workers of evil, all you workers of unrighteousness. Why is this scary? It's scary because there are many people that think that just because they have a familiarity with Jesus, because they have a familiarity with the Christian faith, that it's good enough. I've been to church a couple times. Yeah, I can spell Jesus. Spot me the consonants, a couple vowels. But do they have a saving knowledge of Jesus, which is what matters? Do they have a personal relationship with him? So you go back in the Bible, if, if just having a familiarity with Jesus was enough, then guess what? Herod would be in heaven, Caiaphas would be in heaven, Judas would be in heaven. But to all of them that were familiar with Jesus, and even Pilate, on Judgment Day, Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. Why? Because being familiar with Jesus is not good enough. I didn't intend to talk so much about 80s rock and roll today, but 
Not only is Angus Young one of my favorite guitarists, but my favorite guitarist of all time was Eddie Van Halen. Many of you know that. And I had a great dad who on February 26, 1992, showing my age, allowed me to skip middle school to go to Roanoke Civic Center to watch Van Halen play in concert there. It was a $28 ticket. It was festival seating, which you know what that means. You had to fight to get where you wanted to be. I was about, uh, about where that front pew is from the stage that day. I was in the proximity, I was in the presence of Eddie Van Halen. As he threw a guitar pick out, it just grazed my finger. I had the privilege to see him in concert two other times. I sold a guitar to be able to be with him in the same building with him in Charlotte, North Carolina in 2007. My uncle and I even left our wives at the beach that day to drive to Charlotte, North Carolina to see Van Halen, Eddie Van Halen and David Lee Roth be reunited that day for the first concert publicly since 1984-1985. But do you know what happened? In 2020, Eddie Van Halen died. And do you know what I got from him? Nothing. Do you know who got everything? His son, Wolfgang. I'm 44. His son's in his 30s. His son was born in 1991. I was born 13, 14 years before his son. I've known about his dad a lot longer than he has. But what good does it do me? It doesn't. Why? Because it's about the relationship you have with Eddie Van Halen. I'm a fan Wolfie is his son. Friends, on Judgment Day, what's going to matter is not whether or not you're familiar with Jesus, but whether you belong to Jesus. Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. Are you familiar with Jesus? Or are you in love with Jesus. And let me say this to the folks that always critique me and say, oh, you always got to go to 1215, 1220, don't you? Let me say this. If 75 to 80 minutes with Jesus is miserable on a Sunday, what do you think eternity is going to be like? We don't want to just be familiar with Jesus. We want to be in love with Jesus. What makes heaven great is not that you, the, the, the thermostat set at the correct perfect temperature, always sunny and 70 degrees. What makes heaven great is you get to be with Jesus. That's why there's weeping and gnashing of teeth in this passage. Because those that are outside the door, those that are actually outside of the party, don't get to be with Jesus. Some of them are, are weeping. Do you know why? Because they're grieving that they made the wrong choice. The others are gnashing their teeth because they're angry that he's punishing them for the choice that they've already made. That's a lie that many people believe, is that being familiar with Jesus is enough, and it's not. The fourth lie 
It's a scary lie that people believe is that your family tree is good enough. My family tree is good enough for me is the fourth lie people believe. I want you to catch what's happening here in verse 23 and 28. In verse 23, when the young man says to Jesus, Lord, will those who are saved be few? He's not picking a fight with Jesus. This is a legitimately curious question he's asking Jesus. Do you know why? Because of the theology that was popular in that day. Most of the Jewish people believed that all of Israel would be saved. Or at least that all of Israel would be saved except for the really, 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 really bad people. Sounds like they were southerners, doesn't it? Like everybody south of Mason-Dixon line is going to heaven except the really, 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 really bad people. What's he thinking? He's thinking that, hey, I'm of the Jewish heritage. My family tree ought to be good enough for me. But what does Jesus say to him in verse 28? In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are cast out. In other words, it isn't genealogy that saves you. It's your faith in Jesus Christ, which is consistent with the gospel message throughout the entire Bible. How is Abraham going to be in heaven? Because he believed in Jesus. Genesis 15, 6 says, And Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. Romans chapter 4, verse 9, the apostle Paul says, How are any of us going to be in heaven? Because we believed in Jesus. We put our faith and trust in Jesus. In other words, your family tree will not save you. Your birth certificate is not going to be what saves you. By the way, true story. I got asked to speak at a pastor's conference in the Middle East in November. I'm not going to be able to make it. There's been a scheduling conflict. Um, but they asked me to speak again, uh, to speak if I'll do it in 2024, and I, and I hope to do so. But in preparation for possibly speaking at that pastor's conference, I had to get a passport. I've never gotten a passport. Or it's been a long time since I got a passport. And so I was trying to, to rush over to... Uh, the courthouse, whatever we call that building there, administrative building there, and, and I wanted to get my passport, and so I took my birth certificate. You like my birth certificate? Look, it's even got my fingerprints and my footprints on it. So I go up there, and, and, I, and I give the lady my, my, my birth certificate, and I give her my driver's license, and she looks at me, and she goes, what is this? And I said, it's my birth certificate. She goes, no, it's not. Yeah, it is. It's even got my footprint and my fingerprint on it. And she goes, Mr. Klein, this is not a legit birth certificate. And dominoes just start falling in my mind because I'm thinking, this birth certificate helped me get driver's license in four different states. <laughs> Seriously. A wedding license and two weapons permits. I'm like, of course it's legit. It's got my thumbprint. Do you want to take my thumbprint? And she looks at me, and, and, and now kind of dominoes are falling backwards as I'm going back to Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm going back to Covington, Georgia. And then people being like, this is your birth certificate? Is this all you got? And I'm like, oh, that's all I got. They're thinking, well, I guess that's how they roll in West Virginia. I, I was shocked to find out. That this birth certificate was not good enough to get me a passport. To not get my 
by tickets stamped to go overseas. Friends, I do not want you to be shocked on Judgment Day to find out that your birth certificate is not going to get you into heaven. Your mom and dad and your grandma and grandpa may have been wonderful Christians, but you will not get to heaven on their coattails. You will only get to heaven by clinging to the nail-pierced hands and feet of Jesus Christ. I love our denomination. And I'm glad that our youth have enjoyed going to Bon Clarkin. It's a beautiful place. But don't be deceived and think for one second that just driving up the mountain to Bon Clark and, and making a Mecca trip there is going to be what gets your ticket punched to heaven. It won't. Do you cling to the nail-pierced hands of Jesus Christ? That alone is sufficient. The fifth and final lie that many buy into that's a scary lie is that they believe that they're too far gone. That's what Jesus gets at in verses 29 through 30. He tells this young man, And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. What is Jesus saying here? It's very offensive what Jesus is saying to this young Jewish man. He's saying, look, you think that because of your genealogy that you're going to be there and the Gentiles are going to be cast out. But guess what? I'm gathering my elect from all the four corners of the earth, from east, west, north, and south. And the people that you think are too far gone will be there. And you think you're legit and you're in, you, want, you may not be there. Some of you, that is the lie that Satan has been telling you even this morning as you walked into this sanctuary, is that you're too far gone. You're not. The scariest thing that you could do this morning is to walk away from Jesus and the free offer of salvation that he's offering you today. The way you get through this narrow door is you humble yourself and you admit and accept what Jesus says is the great physician of your souls, the condition that you have. And it's the condition that I point at you. I've got three more pointing back at me. The scriptures say this, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And what we're earning every day for our sin is death. Eternal separation from God. That's the bad news. But here's the good news. You're not too far gone. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died on the cross for our sins. And this is the gospel. This is the good news. That God made a way where there was no way. That God made his son who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. Or another way to say it is this, that the gospel is the good news in this. That God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the perfect life we should have lived. He died the death penalty on the cross we should have paid. And three days later he resurrected from the dead, literally physically, to conquer sin and death. To offer the free gift of salvation, forgiveness of sins to all of us who repent and believe. 
So my question to you today is, are you ready? Are you ready to meet Jesus? Because this, this offer is for a limited time only. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is clear. Although it's cold, hard truth at times. And here's what I confess to you in front of everyone this morning is that God, I know. I know I'm not a good person. I know I'm a bad person. And God, I know that what I deserve is hell. What I pray, God, is that in this moment, you would humble all of us. That we would admit to you that we know we're not perfect. That we know we're rebels at hearts. And we admit to you, God, how the lies seem so sweet at times. Open our eyes to see the truth about you. Help us to believe that Jesus is the only way. And help us to let go of ourselves and what little goodness we think that we have. The pride that we have to think, well, at least I'm better than him. At least I'm better than her. Or at least I've never done that. Or I've never gone there. And help us to see that you accept us today just as we are humbly coming before you, admitting our sin, and trusting in Jesus alone for forgiveness. Change us today, we pray. Help us to cling to your cross alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's respond to God's word this morning by turning to hymn number 501. Let's stand and sing together. Just verse 